It's just beautiful how those hymn verses fit in between the, the, the readings today, and, and that was done intentionally. Alex Gieber wrote those, and those are absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We're the, we're the only church in the Western world that is singing that today, and that is because we have such a gifted young man leading, leading us in worship, and I love that. I like it when it all kind of comes together. And I told Alex in between services, I don't think it should come together like a punch in the mouth. I think it should come together like an arm around you that says, did you ever think about how Ezekiel and 2 Corinthians and Mark 6 kind of work together? So it was very well done. Very, very cool. We get to reflect a little bit on the scripture today from Mark chapter 6. And you may want to put that in front of you as we're going to kind of go through little pieces of it here. And, and, and thinking about Jesus and what he did. And, and how he, he kind of came through and, and built a case for himself through Mark's gospel. And then it, it, the people closest to him don't get it. His brothers and sisters and his family and friends, those who are in the, the close inner circle of Jesus, he just can't seem to persuade them no matter what he does. They're kind of tracked off. It says in the scriptures they're offended at him. Seems to me that's kind of the way it goes. I remember coming to St. John's in 1993, and I came in March of 1993, 25 and a half years ago, and, and I knew people here because I grew up here, and, and there were, I knew that when, when I came, there would be Mr. Schluter and Mr. Neben and Mr. Hoger, and there would be Miss Paul, and there would be people who were my teachers who went to school here. Matter of fact, it was Mr. Bredehoft who was one of the ones who stood up at the call committee meeting in 1992 and said... Pastor Esh, you need another pastor, and Klinkenberg's the best we got, so you got to call him. <laughs> pastor Esh called me on the phone. My wife and I were in our little electrically heated apartment in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and Pastor Esh was on the phone, and many of you remember, Norb, and he said, the oddest thing has just happened. We called you to be the youth pastor. And we had given up. It was already after 11 o'clock in Wisconsin, and we had already given up. We thought, well, God wants us here in the Arctic Circle ready to serve. It was absolutely <laughs> freezing cold. And... But I remember that. I, re I remember also that August, a young man who I had gone to Lutheran High with and who had been bullied by my friends and I. And he came to me and he said, when you preach, it's really hard for me to hear because I know where you came from and what you were like when you were younger. That was really hard to hear. And as an approval addict in 1993, I didn't have the quick-witted words or the, the, the inclination to be able to go up to him and say, you know what, I really apologize for that. It, it, it wasn't my time to, to do that. It was very, very difficult. I remember the first time uh, 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 when, when we were leading, I was leading Sunday night service, and, and that Sunday night service just boomed and grew, and there were lots of people that were coming from the community and lots of kids. We'd go over and pass out flyers at Lutheran High and Orange High and Villa Park, and the kids would come, and, and someone, I'm giving communion right here, and a, a lady comes up, and it was a former girlfriend of mine. <laughs> Body of Christ for you. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I thought, oh, man, Tim. And these words, these words came to my mind. People know you. They remember what you said and what you did and who you are. And that's really tough. Sometimes it's hardest to speak the words of Christ 
to the people we're closest to. Sometimes it's hardest to speak the words of Christ to those we're closest to. And if you look in your bulletin at your text at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, the first two paragraphs pick that up beautifully. Even Jesus had that problem. So if you sit in the, and the, 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 the eyes and faces of those you love begin to stream in front of you and you say, I just can't have that tough conversation, you're not alone. The Son of God had a tough time with that as well. So Jesus is moving in, in, in a region called the Decapolis. He's come in and out of there. He's on kind of a, a victory tour, healing, casting out demons, doing all this stuff. And he finishes that tour, and he comes back into his own hometown. And you'd think they'd have a block party for him. Jesus, you're our guy. Jesus, you're, you're, you look at what you've done. Jesus, you're the man. Jesus, wherever you go, there's huge crowds. Jesus, will you preach for us? Will you heal some people? Will you cast out some demons? Jesus, will you get after it? And, and instead of that, they turn up their nose. The second paragraph there. Where did this man get these things? They ask, What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then that last sentence, and they took offense at him. I wonder how that felt. And remember, Jesus was not just 100% divine. He was also 100% human. So there must have been some pain in that. Simon, Judas, don't you guys remember? I'm your brother. Come on. It's the second time in Mark's gospel where they look at Jesus and they say, hey, he's out of his mind, he's crazy, he's giving offense. Sometimes it's hardest to reach the people that are closest to you. One of the shadow missions I have at St. John's is exactly that, to help you and me speak the gospel to those we're closest to. And my reasoning is from this text that it's harder than any other context to share our faith and bring our values to bear in the hearts and lives of those who are the closest to us, children and grandchildren and spouse. Maybe it's that our faith is so personal. Maybe it's the way we were raised and it's so private. Maybe it's that there's a, a discrepancy between what we've said and what we've done and we struggle with that. The last thing we want is someone who really knows us to point their finger at it and say, you're a hypocrite. You drag us to church, you drag us with this, you drag us with that, and then you go back and you do this and talk this way and act this way. And we're not having it. My shadow mission has always been to give you the words and the demeanor so that when the time comes, your witness will be one that falls on an open heart and open ears that the seed of the gospel will take, take, take root in the soul of your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. And that that witness becomes more of a natural thing for you more than, hey, I need to make an appointment to sit and talk and at 1135 I'm going to present the gospel to you and I want you to nod yes. See, it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's the right time and the right moment and the right situation in life and those closest to us reach out to us. And it's been my mission to give you the words to say to that child, here's where I'm at. Here's what I believe. Here's how you were raised. Let me tell you about Jesus. 
it's really easy to share some of that good stuff. It's really hard to share the difficult things. And sometimes in the familiarity of life and family, it's hard to be a witness because people see our faults and weaknesses. Which means the text from 2 Corinthians becomes very powerful where Paul brags not about his strengths, but about his weaknesses and the things that he's gone through that demonstrate the power of Christ in his weakness. I think about your kids and your grandkids a lot. I think about grandparents sending me emails and saying, I'd really like you to reach out and have my grandkids baptized because I just can't do it. My heart aches for that as a pastor. My heart aches for you because I know the kind of subtle difference and, and, and estrangement that comes in that. As our kids go and get their own lives and their own value systems and their own things together, and sometimes it doesn't look exactly like the manner in which we raise them. Jesus had a running start. Mark chapter 5, he's got a running start. You would think you would have gained momentum. You would have thought Jesus would have been the one to say, I got this, that the people would have welcomed him in Nazareth and said, here it is, let's go. But even with a running start, it's hard for Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, he goes all the way across the, the, lake, the Sea of Galilee after he'd calmed the storm. And he goes to a place called Gadarene. And there's a demoniac guy there, a guy possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus casts the demons out. He tells the man, go back and tell your family what the Lord has done for you. And people talked all through that, right? It went from village to village and thing to thing. Did you hear what Jesus did? And if that wasn't enough, Jesus is on his way through the cities and villages, making his way home. And, and, and a man falls at his feet and begs for his daughter's life. And in the midst of that crowd, someone reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak. And it's a lady who's got a horrible situation going on in her body where she can't stop hemorrhaging. And Jesus stops that hemorrhage. And, and in the middle of the crowd, Jesus said, who touched me? And the lady reaches down and says, it was me, Lord. And he says, your faith has made you well. And then at the end of that chapter, he raises up the little girl from the dead. And all of that, the power of God, the confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God, the confirmation of what he did and what he said and who he was, all of those things are lining up so that at the, end of the, at the end of the gospel, Jesus can stand up and have a cross put on his back and be nailed to that cross. And there be acclaimed the Son of God in the mouth and the words of the centurion who having watched everything that Jesus went through said, surely this man was the Son of God. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. And in our lives, He forgives our sins. He destroys the power of evil in our lives. And He opens that gate of heaven wide for you and me. And yet with a running start, His own family is like, you're just Jesus. You're just that guy. You're just a dude. You're, you're, we hung out. We played horseshoes. We climbed trees. We did our thing. You're just, you're just a guy. And so Jesus retrenches and he sends out the 12. Isn't that cool? They hadn't even been to seminary in St. Louis. How could they possibly equip for ministry without going four years to Concordia St. Paul and four years for uh, a Master of Divinity degree? 
They probably didn't even know Greek and Hebrew as well as I do. Well, Greek at least. They didn't speak German, that's for sure, but Martin Luther was still 1,500 years in the making. How in the world could he send him out? Could it be that Jesus knew that even Jesus couldn't reach everybody? That his own brothers and sisters were going to need to hear the gospel from somebody else? That familiarity bred contempt in his family? And that if his brothers and sisters and the close people around him were to be saved, they needed Peter, Andrew, James, and John? And so he gathered them together, equipped them, and sent them out two by two. Isn't it amazing what he says? He gave them his authority. He didn't give them the power, right? He didn't give them thunderbolts out of their fingers. Rather, he gave them the authority over evil. He gave them the authority over sickness. He gave them the authority over sin and death. And the disciples went out two by two, equipped and charged up and ready to go. A little bit different ministry than Jesus. Jesus' ministry to be the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's to point to the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so they went two by two with not a lot of money, with not an extra suitcase, with not a bunch of stuff. But like Jesus, like the Lord sent out the Israelites, travel light, my bag is packed, let's, let's go. And so I'm reminded of the truism of this text. That even now, there's somebody who you know and love who needs Jesus. And that you may or may not be the person to lead them to Christ. But it may be your calling to lead somebody else to Christ. Someone who maybe you know and love who needs Jesus. That's a little too close to you. But someone over here can reach in love. It wasn't my place to lead that young man who we had bullied at Lutheran High to Jesus. It was a church up in the Central Valley's job. And a man who reached out to a broken soul with the love of Jesus in a way that I could never do because of my baggage in history. But this man allowed an opportunity for my friend to know the Lord and to know His grace and, and community like this and also to be able to re bring reconciliation in my friendship with this man so that when he comes and visits his family here he doesn't have to look down like this but he looks me right in the eye and says Pastor Tim it's good to see you I can reach who I can reach and you can reach who you can reach and you can't reach everybody and neither can I but as the Lord sends us out two by two as ambassadors of His reconciliation, the world can be one. This month I celebrate the, uh, what's uh, 1991 from 2018, the 27th year of my ordination. I was ordained in northern Wisconsin at Faith Lutheran Church in Chippewa Falls on a hot, hot summer day. Now, beautifully air-conditioned, uh, climate-controlled for your comfort, St. John's in Orange. But in Wisconsin, it was a joyful day filled with family and many blessings. One of my professors was able to be there, and uh, he preached the sermon and ordained me. It was a very powerful, 
powerful day. And, and then we had a good German potluck. You know, we had, I think they made sloppy joes. And, and so we had sloppy joes on homemade buns from uh, the, the, the market. I, I can't remember the name of the market now, Shop and Save or whatever it was. And Willie's. We were, no, Willie's is in Minnesota. Whatever. We're in northern Wisconsin. And the homemade buns. And, and, and then you had a, a fruit salad and jello salad with fruit on top and fruit salad with jello on top and all this stuff that, you know, colors of jello you can never. And, and uh, beans with the crispy noodles. I mean, it was just a, like a Lutheran fair. It's like, oh, you know, I'm home. This is great. But because the way I'm wired, I'm, I'm wired more to hone in on my failures than my successes. And you may not know that to, to know me, but those who know me best know where I agonize. And, and, and a little bit like Paul saying, I wish I could focus on that, which I do well. Because when I go to bed at night, I think about those places where I fail. How I can rectify and make a difference in that. And that's just a part of the way I am. That's not going to change. I realize that over 27 years of being a pastor, that there are some things that I've really screwed up. My mouth typically is that which gets me into trouble. And I learned through the course of many years when to keep my mouth shut. I'm much better at it now than I was last year. And uh, that's really, really helpful. But because most of the life of ministry I've had has been here at St. John's, I think the failure that I've had is most pronounced in this congregation. And that's putting together a ministry platform and a ministry way of doing things that has found its way towards atrophy and is worn out. And it's a ministry platform that looked like this. First, we get the big idea. Let's have this ministry program. Let's do this. Second, let's hire a person to make it happen. Third, let's give them a budget line item, space, and make sure that that never changes in the history of the world. And then fourthly, let's watch it fail. And so we come up with a big idea and we have all sorts of energy. And then instead of grabbing that energy and rallying people around it, I've led us to hire a person and give them some resources. And then that becomes entrenched in the life of the church. We can't change that. It's always been that way. Well, it's only been that way since 2017. I know, but it feels like it's always been that way. And then what will happen to that person and their job and their life and all that stuff? And, and then everything becomes kind of convoluted. And we lose the, the passion and the direction of, of, of winning people for Jesus Christ. And we struggle with that because all of a sudden, instead of a team being named in that, it's an individual who leads it. And I've come to learn over the last 18 months how foolish that is as a leader and I'm working really hard, and I think the last third of my ministry from today until I turn 67, I think my job is to rectify that mistake and go in a whole different way, away from Mark chapter 6, that, that's what ministry looks like, how Jesus did it. First, he united his disciples around mission to win people to Jesus Christ. He preached, he healed, he cast out demons, he did what he did, and they followed after him. So that when he cut them loose, they didn't have to have a degree or a budget line item. As a matter of fact, he sent them with no money just so they could go and get after him. And so they went because he had spent time with them when there was alignment on the mission to seek and to save the lost. How many times he had said that? How many times he had done that before their face? Where even the disciples would go, oh, okay, I think we get it. 
And once aligned in mission, he built them up in the faith. In our church, we call it connecting, growing, and sharing. So that when the disciples went out, they were ready to go. They had something in their heart, something in their soul that made them courageous and strong. Not know-it-alls who who knew everything. They didn't have PowerPoint slides and textbooks. They went with what was here and what was here. And they shared Christ and pointed to Jesus. And thirdly, they didn't go alone. The Lord sent them out two by two. And I think for us in our church, it's two by two and four by four and four by six and 12 by four and whatever it is, go. But don't go alone. We're a part of the body of Christ. By the power of the gospel, by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, we belong to him. United in mission, built up in faith, with a a body of people around us to go and win people for Jesus Christ. So the question that I'm working on and grinding on from this text and in my own who I am is, how do we best empower the body of Christ at St. John's to do the most good for the most people with the time we have left? And what does that look like? How do we have our gifts of the Spirit on display here and now? Not necessarily solely a function of job description and payroll and great administration, but perhaps just, just perhaps with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can make an impact with that gospel for our community because I can speak in places that you can't and you can speak in places that I can't and we can all serve other people with the love of Jesus. And that's where the impact is felt. So those who are closest to me might struggle with me, but they may be very open to you. And that's the beauty of Mark chapter 6. Jesus sends them out two by two in his name and with his authority to point to him. Because at the end of the day, that's what our witness, witness is. Maybe there are those people over the last 20 minutes you've thought about whose names stream as a movie runs on the back of your forehead. Names and places and closeness and relationships and tears and pain. It's because they know us. In many cases, it's because our DNA is a part of them. That's how that works. And maybe some of them who are close to us don't know Jesus the way we'd like them to, or maybe they're estranged from Jesus and the church just because of function of life and context they are, and that's the way it is. They're so smart. We put them through school. (laughs) We still pay those loans and those things off. We send them to school so they're smart and they're educated. And they're super busy with lots to do. So sitting on their chest and saying, you know what, you need to go to church or you're going to be in bad shape, that, that's not the witness. But maybe there is someone in their context that you don't even know who reaches out with love and affirmation in a way that's after the heart of the Lord Jesus. And at the right place and in the right context, that individual shares Christ with your close loved one. 
and they cut through the pain and the stuff of family in the past. And they speak right to the heart of the person. And in humility, we say, thank you, God. Thank you that you sent that person because the desire of my heart is that those closest to me know Jesus. So everybody on this side of the church, look at everybody on this side of the church and repeat after me, we need you. everybody on this side of the church look at the beautiful people on this side of the church and repeat after me we need you that's the body of Christ maybe there's someone close to you who someone else is going to reach and if that's the case then Jesus was right side by side two by two into the world until the world knows Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be together today. Body of Christ stuff is close stuff because it's people stuff. And you bless us in this church in, in a marvelous way. We, we thank you for where we've been and how we continue to learn and grow and, and that we don't look back and throw rocks at each other, but we look forward at, with hope and anticipation. Thank you that you sent disciples out who were, uh, who were simple guys, who were marginally trained, who didn't have all the answers, but had your authority in your name. I thank you that not only did you send them out once, two by two, but then later in ministry, you sent them out a, a person at a time to go to a specific place. And that through those 12 guys, the whole world was reached in your name. And that we get to worship and call on the name of Jesus as a result of you sending those disciples into the world. So grant us prayer of warmth and closeness to those we love the most in the world and grant that they would know Jesus. And if you choose to use us in that conversation, then grant us courage and boldness and softness and love. And if you have somebody else in mind to, to lead those sheep back to your fold, then by all means, Lord, use whoever you can, wherever you will, in whatever context suits to let your gospel work in that heart. Bless us as a, as a congregation to never be fatigued, to never grow weary or tired of, of that ministry, for that's what you've called us to, and that's what unites us together. In Jesus' name we pray.